I mentioned this this morning at the first service. I was just about in tears when uh, our friend Jen Churchill let out in that second song. Uh, Many of you don't know, but Jen has been fighting a tremendous battle against cancer for the last year. And uh, it's just, just a delight to have Jen in the house, back on the worship team today. But she chose that song and asked to sing that song about the goodness of God, even through the fiery trials. And, and Jen, just to watch you sing and to realize, you know, this isn't a performance. This was a total act of worship from, from you to God, singing every line of that song, every word of that song from your heart. It was tremendous. And, and thank you. And we're, we're just delighted. Many of us have been praying for you. And um, just what an answer to prayer to see you back on the team. So I have uh, some good news, too. Uh, the last few weeks, we've been praying for Margie Kamen. And uh, about more than two weeks ago, Margie had some surgery and things went wrong. And she spent about almost two weeks in a coma. And on Thursday, Margie woke up. And she's not in pain, and she's responding, and her, her family just texted me a few minutes ago saying, this is the best Mother's Day ever. And so, yeah, we're praising God for, for, you know, Margie's response, and she still has a long way to go in recovery, but please keep praying for Margie. Uh, as well, this week we had two funerals uh, that uh, involved our North River family, uh, Wayne Franzoni. Uh, died last Monday morning, and it was um, not sudden, but it was sad, and, and so the Franzoni and Reed and Hesketh families have been a part of North River for a long time, and on Thursday, we had services for, in remembrance of Wayne, and then a couple of weeks ago, Kathy Harrison's mother died, and so yesterday, we had a service right here um, in memory of Kathy's mom, so please keep those families in mind. Uh, and all these things, you know, we're continuing to pray, and we see God break through in tremendous ways, and Jen, you're evidence of that. And it's just, we've got to praise God like you were, your first instinct was when these things happen. Father God, thank you for allowing us to share these answers to prayer in our midst. We, we realize that we're not in control of things you are, and every time we pray, we step into the mystery of how you choose to work. But we thank you for bringing Jen through, and we thank you for bringing Margie through this tremendous ordeal the last few weeks. We ask that you would stand beside and console the, the Harrison and the, and the Franzoni families. Lord, thank you for being a God who walks through all the hard times with us as well as the good times. We sing these songs that have these lyrics, but the truth is sometimes our lives match up very closely to the, the praise songs that we sing. God, you know every person in this room today. You know the, the hurts that are carried within the heart, and you know the, the joys that we express. You know the, the prayer requests we've had where we keep praying and praying and praying that you would have your way and you would work your will and that you would bring change. And we continue to call upon you. And we thank you for the many blessings we have. We thank you for all the moms who are here in the house today or people who are watching online. And we thank you for their influence and for the roles they play. Lord, I thank you that so many years ago when I was a five-year-old boy that my mom led me to faith in Jesus. And uh, what, what a difference that has made for, for ever since in every aspect of life. I pray that as we gather today and we look into your word that 
you would open our eyes and our hearts to receive what Jesus would bring to us today. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Several years ago, my father-in-law, his name was Bud, asked for my help in cutting down a huge oak tree behind their house on Thanksgiving morning. He had this huge tree that was beginning to show signs of rot. And since Sue and I were visiting them in Minnesota, he had some free help, some slave labor, me, in other words. And he decided that this was the day. So I climbed a ladder and I timed, tied a very thick rope around some branches that were, were fairly high up on this massive tree. And then I stood down the hill and was trying to put pressure on the tree while my father-in-law got out the chainsaw and he notched it perfectly. And it was about to go down and all of a sudden the wind started to blow from the wrong direction. And this rope that I was pulling all of a sudden was getting taut and pulling me the other way and I was leaning into it, pulling with all that I could. And so he made another notch in the tree and we got it to fall sideways, only it was beginning to fall towards the fence of the house next door. It's just interesting enough, it was owned by Kirby Puckett from the Minnesota Twins. And we didn't want to knock down Kirby Puckett's fence. And so we're, we're making this, trying to get this thing to go down. And, and after a little while, it realized the tree wasn't going to go all the way down because it was stuck in some branches from the other trees around. So I jumped on the tree. I'm climbing up a little bit and jumping on it, trying to get it go down. And as I'm on the tree, I notice these little bits of fire dancing high up and realized the tree wasn't stuck in branches. The tree was stuck because it had fallen on some wires. And that little bit of fire that I was seeing was not a good thing because I was on the tree. And that's a great way to get electrocuted. And so jumped off the tree and my father-in-law made the call to the Minnesota Power Authority and they sent out a few guys in hard hats and huge chainsaws and they started to clean everything up and they got the tree down. As we're watching all this happen, my father-in-law, frustrated from everything that had gone wrong, walks over to the chief who's got his hard hat on and his outfit, and he says, isn't there something that we can do to help? And this guy deadpanned, and he looked at him and said, haven't you done enough already? <laughs> My father-in-law used to love to tell that story, not just to show what kind of dopes the two of us were when we were together, but he would add that punchline. And I bring it up this morning because it makes a point that connects with today's message. There are times when doing more is not necessarily better. Can I say that again? There are times in life when doing more is not necessarily better. And we're going to see that borne out in the snapshot of the gospel we're looking at today. This morning, in our Oh, How I Love Jesus series, we're looking at this snapshot from the Gospels that makes this same point. And in this series, we've been looking at people who are moved to express love, appreciation, even devotion toward Jesus. And so each week, we've been asking, what makes Jesus so attractive? What causes people to fall into such deep devotion toward Him? This morning, we're going to look at the contrast between Mary and her sister Martha, and the title of this message is The Better Choice. So welcome. I'm glad you're here at North River today. Happy Mother's Day to all of you. I, I'm delighted that you're here today, and I, I want you to know that we are working very hard to try and make North River a safe place where people who are scared of church, people who've been burned by church, people who are skeptical or have great questions can feel safe here 
safe enough where they can hear the sometimes dangerous words of Jesus that are capable of changing our lives. So the question I have this morning is, in this contrast between these two sisters, Mary and Martha, who are friends of Jesus, why was Mary's act of sitting at Jesus' feet and listening the better choice? We're going to look at a study of contrast between these two sisters. Here's the first question I want to raise. Is this an either-or choice? In other words, is, is the message of this, this part of the gospel simply be more like one and less like the other? Verse 38 opens, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. This may have been the beginning of this friendship. We see Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus pop back into Jesus' lives. He loved this family tremendously. This may have been how it all started with an act of hospitality and an invitation by Martha. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. All right, theory number one. We're trying to figure out why is Mary's act of listening to Jesus praised and not Martha's. Theory number one was that Mary listened while Martha was busy doing. I could line up sermons and Bible teachers who make that same point. The concluding message would be, be like Mary, not like Martha. Mary chose the better path of learning from Jesus, while Martha made too much of a fuss about cooking and hospitality. And the impact of that was that all people who love listening to sermons get built up, while all those who love cooking or hospitality feel demoralized. Is this snapshot that simple? Well, the difficulty with theory number one is that the very next passage is the story of the Good Samaritan, a parable that Jesus made up and taught. In this parable, the good guy is the person who takes action. He's a doer. He stops and cares for a man left dying in the street, brings him to an inn for help, uses his own money, gets him medical attention, even promises to come back if it costs more later. This guy is a doer and he's busy. Just looking at this snapshot that way helps us realize that Jesus is not simply saying, be like Mary, don't be like Martha. All right, here's theory number two. Martha was doing too much, and we need to find a better balance. This would be the better balance theory. Okay, I just made that up this week, but uh, there's some merit to that theory. Who doesn't need a better balance in life? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but I do. I can get way out on extremes sometimes between work and family and life, and we can all take things to an extreme. So a a better balance helps us live wisely. So Martha should be a bit more like Mary, and maybe Mary should be a bit more like Martha. And if they could just meet in the middle, everything would be great. Some teachers infer that Jesus was simply saying, keep it simple, Martha. Stop going to such extremes. But you know what? There's a problem with that theory too. While we may infer that Jesus wants Martha's to be a bit more like Mary's, he never tells Mary to help Martha or to stop listening so intently to his teaching. The better balance theory fails to appreciate Jesus' commendation of Mary. 
He doesn't say, Mary, help a bit with Martha, but instead he says, she's made the better choice. I'm not going to take that away from her. So, first observation is this isn't simply an either-or choice. Let's take this to a deeper level. We discover that real disciples don't simply settle for stereotypes. In other words, the expectations that others place on them. Let me shorten these two verses, verse 39 and 40, a little bit. It helps us focus in on the action and the the center point of the contrast. Partway through verse 39, it says, Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, verse 40, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. First, notice the posture of Mary. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, the visiting rabbi, and this was the classic pose of a disciple. A disciple is not an expert. Many people today think if we were to use that disciple or, or, or that word disciple, or you describe yourself as, as a disciple, that you're claiming that you're kind of above the average ordinary Christian. That is not at all what this word means. It simply means a pupil, a learner, who sits at the feet of the master, soaks in the master's wisdom, and then tries to apply that to life. So if, if you are anywhere within the realm as a Christian of learning from the Bible, learning from the words of Jesus, you are a disciple. The more and more that we put it into practice, the more we are leaning into discipleship. Luke is making an observation for us by noting the posture of Mary here. She's right in there with the men, with the 12 men that Jesus called to be his formal disciples. And the extraordinary feature here is simply that this disciple is a woman. She's taking the posture of a disciple. Now, there was no prohibition about teaching women that was in the Torah, the law of the Old Testament. But it was unusual in that time and culture for a woman to choose this role, and it was unusual for a master teacher to include her, and Jesus clearly does that here. It would be too much to infer leadership principles here from this simple statement, but Jesus was clearly endorsing her as a disciple who was learning from him and following him, and he does this through his affirmation of Mary's choice. So let's say this loud and clear. Jesus did not only call men to be his disciples. He may, may have chosen the first 12 who would walk with him for the next year, three years, and then spread, uh, spend the rest of their, their lives developing other disciples. But the primary call that they were given was to make more and more disciples wherever they went of men and women and teens and children together. Here in Luke 10... Jesus was affirming Mary's choice to draw near to to Jesus as a disciple, and he calls men and women equally to serious discipleship. But then notice what comes next in verse 40. But Martha was distracted. He doesn't say, Mary was called to learn and draw near, but Martha was called to cook. He doesn't say, these were two sisters with completely different spiritual gifts. He specifically says, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. You get the sense that Martha wanted to do some of what Mary was doing, but she felt pulled toward the expected role that she had been given. She was leaning into the role that other people expected her to play. In that culture, in the first century world, women were expected to play secondary, supportive roles only. 
And that meant that Mary was resisting the stereotype while Martha leaned into those expectations of others. Interesting, there's a piece of artwork that uh, I was noticing this week. Uh, if we can put that up, I don't know if we're going to... There, we, there it is, thank you. Uh, this is a, a picture by Johannes Jan van Meer in 1665. And it's called Christ at the Home of Martha and Mary. And so in the picture, Jesus is at the center... Mary is the one that's lower, sitting by his feet. We don't see the other men in this, in this picture. And Martha has a tray of food that she's offering to Jesus. She's more concerned that Jesus is fed rather than about what Jesus is teaching in that moment. It's one of those scenes that makes me wonder if we could pan out. What would the larger view give us, the wider angle view? It's at this point we need to realize something about Jesus. Not only had Mary stepped away from conventional expectations, but Jesus stepped away from conventional expectations too. Simon Bartlett, a UK pastor, makes the point that Jesus had stepped away from the expectations that would have been placed on a rabbi from this period of time. Rabbis didn't directly disciple women and make them a part of their mission. Women were mostly a rejected minority within that culture. So in their eyes, Jesus would have been lowering himself to include Mary in the group. So we see that Mary and also Jesus both step away from gender stereotypes for the sake of mission. Here's the principle. With Jesus, mission trumps stereotypes consistently. God can use all kinds of people to do all kinds of things, whatever he wants to do and whatever he chooses to do. And women will be given roles that are called upon by the Lord to serve in ways that our culture sometimes doesn't expect. Let me put it in a different venue. Young people will be called to do things at different times and used by God in ways that nobody else expects. Hadn't planned to say this, but this thought popped into my mind. Years ago, back in 1988, I went to the Billy Graham crusade at Syracuse University. And because my mother-in-law was working for Billy Graham at the time, I was invited to work uh, each evening on uh, the press table down on the main floor. And I'd been going to some classes during the week that they run side by side with the crusades for pastors. So one night during, during the crusade, I was invited to walk all around the main floor as they did the altar call at the end and people came from all over that football stadium to pray to receive Jesus as their Savior and just listen to the stories. And so I was mingling and walking through some of the crowds and there was this one uh, section where there was a, a high school age boy who was probably about 16 or 17. He had been trained to counsel with teenagers and told to look for teenagers afterwards so that they're having age groups with age groups, men with men, women with women. And there's this man standing there and he, he wanted to respond to the offer to receive the gospel. And he finally, there were long lines there. He walked up to this boy and said, can you help me? And he said, sure. And so I watched as this 17-year-old boy, 16-year-old boy started talking with this man and leading to Christ. And at some point, he said, well, what do you do for work? And the guy said, I'm a brain surgeon. Think about that. In that moment, the right person that God had in mind to explain the gospel and help walk this brain surgeon through a response to Jesus was a 16-year-old boy. Here's the point. Mission trumps stereotypes. God can break through and use anybody to do what he wants to at any given time. And this may have been what prompted such great devotion from Mary. 
Mary, the sister of Martha, is the same one who anoints Jesus six days before his Passover. At the beginning of Holy Week, Mary anointed Jesus' feet with her tears, wiped, them, wiped her feet, his feet with her hair, and then pours this expensive perfume over his feet. She does it in the same way as the woman who crashed the party from the scene that we saw a few weeks ago. They are not the same woman. That other one was not Mary, but Mary copies that action later on. And it may be because of the way that Jesus included her in his teaching. Third, is this an either-or choice? Real disciples don't simply settle for stereotypes. Here's the third observation. Jesus praised Mary's single-minded devotion. Jump to verses 41 and 42. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. We've already seen that the Lord pointed out that Martha was distracted. Perhaps Luke was revealing that Jesus came to teach them all. So Mary got the point and sat down at Jesus' feet, but Martha just kept bustling around trying to make everything perfect and adding in more. And in doing so, she wasn't just providing. He's not knocking the fact that she'd done a great job of cooking or that she cleaned up her house, but she just kept on being busy. And in doing so, she was distracted from what Jesus really wanted from her. Not a second or third dessert, but he wanted her attention. He wanted her heart. He wanted her to sit and soak in. So Jesus pointed out that Mary had one thing on her mind while Martha had several. What's the point? Is it that Jesus doesn't appreciate hospitality or fine food or clean home? No. But the call to follow him as a disciple takes precedence over everything else. Mary chose discipleship while Martha allowed herself to be distracted. That begs a question. What distracts us from fully following Jesus today? Hear me out on this. It's not that Jesus calls us away from our hobbies or our passions. It's that he asks for priority. Do you like to cook? Great, I like to eat. Invite me over. Uh, uh, no, but use your cooking to lead people into discipleship with Jesus. Do you like to play golf? Wonderful. Great. But use golfing to lead people into conversation about Jesus. Are you consumed by your career? Fantastic. Be the best that you can be, but don't make it an idol. Use your career to lead people to follow Jesus. Ladies, women of North River, has God put a passion for teaching or discipling other people, other women, children, teenagers, adults on your heart? Hear me out on this too. If he has, we want you to go for it. And not to force yourself into somebody else's stereotypical role for you, but to use that gift and calling. The Lord often calls people to single-minded devotion to serving Him. What Mary got right was developing a single-minded devotion to following Jesus. And she left what everyone else expected of her in order to follow Jesus in that moment. So here's the central idea I want to get across this morning. Disciples are people with a single-minded devotion to follow Jesus, often leaving the expectation of others to do so. 
Fourth observation, final one. Jesus often calls disciples to leave something behind. Let me explain this through a personal story. When I was a senior in high school, I had a breakthrough year on the football field. And I didn't expect this, but I ended up that year being heavily recruited by a number of colleges. Not big-time schools with full scholarships. I wasn't that good. But by most of the Ivy League schools. And back then, the Ivy League was Division I AA, so it was kind of a big deal. And surprise, surprise, I was invited to go on a couple of recruiting weekends, and I got accepted by my top choice. Back in those days, there was a week after you got accepted where the coaches couldn't contact you, couldn't pressure you. They gave you a week to think about it, but at the end of the week, they would make a call, and they would expect you to make a decision. During that week, I decided that I was go- instead of going to that school, I was going to go to Wheaton College in Illinois. Wheaton was a Christian college, and I could play football there. They had a good football program, but it was a Division III program, lower, small schools. But I could study for the ministry because I already had that sense that this may be where the, the Lord was leading me. And we'd had some family friends who knew about Wheaton and who had talked that up. And I knew that Billy Graham had gone to school there. And I thought, wow, here's this guy who was radically impacted. I want to go to the same place. So the end of the week came and the coach called. And I told him that I was going to turn down their offer and I was going to go to Wheaton College. And this guy shouted in the phone, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. You're going to regret this for the rest of your life. Now, a few years later, that guy became the defensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins. And isn't it funny that the Patriots play the Dolphins twice a year? So twice a year, I'd see this guy stalking up and down the sidelines, and and I would hear that voice at the back of my head. You're making the biggest mistake of your life. But it wasn't. What I was leaving was somebody else's expectation to follow where I think God was calling. And I've never looked back on, on that decision. Mary shed the expectations of others in order to follow Jesus that day. The cultural expectation was that Mary should be in the, in the kitchen helping Martha, that that was her role and her only role. Conventions of the day said that she should pull the same load that Martha was pulling. Simon Bartlett, in his message, What Mary Got Right, points all of this out. And then he goes on to, to note how Luke presents a number of expectation-breaking steps all through his gospel. Let me just walk you through them real quickly. In Luke chapter 2, we meet young Jesus in the temple, and the, the family of Jesus, Joseph and Mary and all their friends, are walking on their way back from Jerusalem, making the long trek 90 miles to uh, Galilee. And they notice partway along the journey that Jesus isn't there. They thought he was with one of the other families. They track all the way back to Jerusalem and find Jesus there speaking with the rabbis and the teachers of the law and the most learned people in Jerusalem. And he says to them, didn't you know I need to be in my father's house? He left his parents' expectation in order to fulfill that sense of calling, even at the age of 12. Chapter 5 of Luke's Gospel, we meet some fishermen who are called to be Jesus' first disciples. They leave their nets and their business behind to follow Jesus full time. Luke chapter 9, there's a man who wants to become a disciple of Jesus. And he says, first let me bury my parents and then I'll come follow you. Okay, so his parents hadn't even died. He's saying, as long as it takes, let me take care of my parents and hang out with them. After I have no more obligations or expectations from my family, 
then I'll come follow you. And Jesus says, you don't understand. It doesn't work that way. You really want to follow me. You're going to follow me now, even if their expectations are disappointed. Whoa. Again, in chapter 9, Jesus puts out a call to all disciples, to all Christians, to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. To deny yourself. We hardly hear something like that in our culture today. Meaning, sometimes there are things that we want to do out of our own desires, but his call takes precedence. You getting the pattern here? Luke 14, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus wasn't telling us to bring hatred into our own homes. He was using a figure of speech as if to say, it's going to feel like that sometimes when you go against the expectations that other people have for you. Maybe you're the first in the family to actually have faith in Christ and begin to make changes in your life. And that's going to make everybody else wonder, what on earth are you doing? He's saying, put Jesus first. Put his calling first. In Luke 15, we encounter the prodigal son who's taken his father's wealth and he's wasted it. And he had to leave his proud independence behind in order to come back and return. And then one more in Luke 18 Jesus is encountered by this rather wealthy young man who says, I've kept all the law, all the Old Testament law, all the Ten Commandments from the time I was a boy. What do I lack? And Jesus says, oh, all right. Go and sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. And you will have treasures in heaven. This is the guy Jesus is inviting to become the 13th disciple. And he walks away because he had great wealth and he wasn't willing to leave that. Now, Jesus doesn't call everybody to do that, but with this guy he did because he knew that was the idol in his life. Just as Jesus gave up the splendors of heaven in order to come here and share the pains and suffering of life and actually to give his life to pay for our sins, he consistently calls us too to put his kingdom first. So I have a couple questions. Is Jesus calling you to something? If so, be aware, he's probably going to call you to give something up in order to be fully devoted to that calling. It's normative. Is there something distracting you from following him with full devotion? If so, it may be time to give up something that is temporal in order to pursue something that is eternal. And we are always called to make that decision. The temporal doesn't last, the eternal does. Disciples are people with a single-minded devotion to follow Jesus, often leaving the expectations of others to do so. If you dare, there's a short prayer I'd like you to pray with me. It's going to pop up behind me and on the screen online, and it's about following that call from Jesus. If you dare, say it out loud with me. Lord, let me hear your call. Let me choose the better path. Help me to let anything go that distracts me from that goal. In Jesus' name, amen. 
And Lord, hear our prayers and bring fruit from these prayers. Allow us to serve you with a single-hearted devotion like Mary. In Jesus' name, amen.